You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Today we're celebrating the 100th episode of Sports Connections with David Smale, and we'll go back to our very first episode when we welcome Joe Lenardi. Joe is the inventor of bracketology, the science of predicting the field for the NCAA tournament. He accurately predicts 98 or 99% of the field correctly every year. Joe has his fingertips on the pulse of college athletics through his connections with conference offices throughout the country. Joe knows the ever-changing landscape landscape of college athletics is driven by money, which is driven by football. But he also knows how that movement impacts college basketball. He details a lot of that in his book that came out in March, even though it was written before the latest round of changes started to happen. We'll talk about his assessment of the college sports landscape. We'll also chat with him about his way too early field for the 2022 NCAA tournament, who might surprise the average fan who doesn't follow the sport in the offseason, both with who is in and who isn't. It's always fun to have Joe in for a chat, so enjoy our time together. Joe, welcome back to Sports Connections. David, it's always great to see you. Uh, We're in the heat of the summer, but uh, it sounds like you're bringing the heat with uh, some of these topics today. I well, hope I'm. Uh, I hope I'm up to date. Yeah, I think I think you'll be just fine. I want to. I want to start with the bad stuff, and then we'll talk about college basketball. Let's start with the ugly situation in college athletics, which has been triggered re- most recently with the announcement that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big Twelve and heading for the SEC. Were you as blindsided as the rest of us by that? Uh, in a word. Yes. Uh, I've certainly never come to view anything as a surprise on this topic. Uh, I I remember the first time I was ever involved in it was, I guess, in the early 90s uh, when Penn State, which is kind of the big dog in my neck of the woods uh, in the Philadelphia area in Pennsylvania, you know, went to the Big Ten. Uh, you, you know, that was considered in its day to be, you know, revolution. Yeah. Uh, here was a long time football independent. And Joe Paterno, who uh, had had talked for much of his career about, you know, an East Coast all sports entity with you know, Syracuse and Rutgers and, and BC and Maryland and Pitt and, and the other teams which dotted Penn State's schedule for all those years of his era. And to be honest, most people in the East Coast thought he was crazy. Uh, and it turned out maybe it, it, on this topic of, of conference building, he was ahead of his time. And uh, you know, since then, we've had three or four pretty significant rounds of realignment. Uh, so, so, yeah, I was I was surprised by the timing and, and curious in, in that you labeled it, you know, bad news uh, sitting in suburban Kansas City. Uh, I suspect if you were sitting in Norman, Oklahoma or Austin, Texas or somewhere in SEC country, you might view it simply as part of the natural order of things. I'm not taking sides. And it's, you know, again, primarily a football 
decision. So I, I don't have any dog in the fight, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the bottom line is these big time football schools, the only thing they want more than all of their own money is to get some of yours too. <laughs> and y- you know, if, if, if this is another way to do that, maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And, and um, you know, if this were another industry, and, and let's not be shy about calling at least the football side of Division I athletics, high major Division I athletics, an industry, you know, where, where the words start with B for billion and not smaller words. Yeah. Uh, if, if this were corporate mergers and acquisitions, um, it, it probably wouldn't be on the front page of the paper. It would be on, you know, business section page four, yeah. because these kinds of things probably happen pretty regularly. You know, it's interesting. I, I look at it as both things that you mentioned. I'd look at it as a natural progression of college athletics and a bad thing because, you know, I still remember the Thanksgiving weekend game, Oklahoma and Nebraska, who haven't played each other in, in a number of years in football. And, and, and obviously I'm wearing my K-State gear today and I'm concerned about the other eight teams in the big 12. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they keep talking about, we're going to stick together. Our best chance of survival is if we go together. And that's going to work fine until the Big Ten invites Kansas because of its basketball program. And there's a lot of talk that that could happen, but there's also a lot of talk that their football program is so bad the Big Ten doesn't want to be, you know, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Well, a sinking tide can bring them down too. Um, and so there's some discussion that Kansas couldn't get in there. But it, until – somebody until a conference tries to take one or two of these schools away, they will try and and stick together. So I think it's a a natural evolution, but I think it's a bad thing that to me, the biggest surprise is that Oklahoma and Texas are getting along (laughs) because they hate each other. You know, they, they do not like each other at all. And the fact that they're in bed together on this project is really, really strange. Yeah, I don't know those dynamics as as well as you certainly, you know, like most, I consider myself a casual college football fan. I'm a huge fan of, of the politics of, of intercollegiate athletics, certainly. But, you know, I watched the, the Red River rivalry and remember when it was in the Cotton Bowl every year and all that. Yeah. Uh, but I also remember you know, Johnny Rogers and the game of the century against Oklahoma in yep. 71 or yep. whenever it was. And, um, you know, a lot of those rivalries have gone by the boards in, in both football and basketball yeah. to chase, you know, TV contracts or, or some other multi-platform media exposure in, you know, in the more recent era. Yeah. And yes, all of that is sad. Uh, but, but I mean, college sports have always kind of evolved in this way. Like there was a time when, you know, when army played Navy, it could be number one and number two. Yeah. And you know, that ain't happening anytime 
soon. You know, when, when Harvard and Yale were ranked in the top 20. And that was a big deal. Now they're not even in the same division right. of, uh, of Division One, And for that matter, the Ivy doesn't even participate in, in the playoff part of, of the, the FCS uh, subdivision. And, you know, you go back even further, you know, one of the original collegiate powers in football was the University of Chicago, one of the nation's leading academic institutions, which, you know, depending on your point of view, was either too chicken to to go all in on college sports or they saw the light and decided, you know, maybe we should be the university part before we're the Chicago part. Yeah. And, you know, that all happened before our time, David. So it, 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 it's, it's just so hard to, to judge. And the numbers involved monetarily are, are so enormous. It's like monopoly money to some degree. And uh, I'm, I'm reminded, and I think this quote is actually in our book, you know, it's great to work in nonprofit, you know, intercollegiate athletics. Uh, so who, who, who knows what's going to happen? I'm particularly fascinated over the Kansas piece, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, look, any short list of blue bloods in college basketball yeah. is going to include KU, whether it's a list of 10 or five or three, you know, they're on the list. Yeah. But if, if you go back through all of the realignments, has there ever been a move that was made primarily for basketball? No. I, I, I mean, I can't think of one. That doesn't mean there hasn't been. Uh, you know, there have been some marriages of convenience, Notre Dame placing basketball and other non-football sports first in the Big East and then in the ACC. So I guess you could say that was for basketball. But what it really was, was a safe harbor so they could stay independent in football. Yeah. So I would argue that those were football decisions. Yeah. Primarily. And, uh, you know, as somebody who loves Big Monday in January and February and those nine o'clock Eastern tips from, you know, Lawrence or Stillwater or Manhattan or Ames or Waco, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sad about that. Yeah, sad about that, but mostly just waiting for other shoes to drop. Yeah, and it's interesting, Joe. That it's not so much that I'm surprised as a journalist here in the area, or that the casual fan is surprised. The Big Twelve seemed surprised by this move. Should I don't know if you've talked to any any of your contacts at the Big Twelve. Should they have known or should they have been prepared better? Because it seems like it totally caught them off guard. Yeah, I guess you'd have to be more inside the rooms to, to be able to answer that question. Of course, from the outside, it looks like they should have been. Yeah. But, I mean, clearly it was in Oklahoma's best interest and Texas's best interest to – be circumspect 
if not out and out, you know, secretive. Uh, so, and, and the people that run Oklahoma and Texas, you know, it's not their first rodeo either. So, you know, part of me admires the fact that, that they kept it so yeah. well contained. Uh, as somebody who, who spent a career in, in kind of the information management side of higher ed. And, um, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. And, and I mean, look, let's be honest, even if they had been totally upfront, gone to confession and asked for permission, there were still going to be a lot of hurt feelings and anger. Right. Right. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about a divorce and degrees of, uh, you know, amicability or not. Yeah. And there's, you know, even the most amicable divorces are probably unpleasant for most of the people involved, at least yeah. for a period of time. And until it gets completely divorced and the papers are signed and the ink is dry, it's going to be pretty frosty. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, again, going back to the thing we were talking about before with Oklahoma and Texas partnering, it's like, you know, the, the guy's leaving for another woman who's not nearly as pretty or as young <laughs> as his current wife. I mean, you know, running away with the grandmother next door. It's like, this just doesn't make sense. So uh, I want well, you that's to- that's the big 12's point of view. Yes. The SEC's point of view is <laughs> we're getting a couple of trophy wives. Yeah, there you go. There right. you go. All right. I'm going to ask you to put on your, your, your no- normal March hat and predict mm. what's the best way for the big 12 to survive. Well, it, 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 that question begs another question for me, David, and that is I have never gotten a satisfactory answer to the following question. And I've asked it to some of the bigger movers and shakers in our world. And that question simply is, why are there not football only conferences? Yeah. Right. Like, like I understand if you're running the Big Ten Network or the ACC Network or what have you, that you need year-round programming in, you know, baseball and softball and lacrosse and whatever. I get it. But, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, in the ACC, BC is sending its women's soccer team to play at Clemson instead of at providence right right and that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense and clearly it doesn't but they're doing it for other reasons football chief among them and you know maybe all of this leads us more toward a football only kind of arrangement uh, because you know to me, the remaining teams in the Big 12 as a basketball entity, you know, if that's their primary identifier going forward, 
they're still pretty darn good. Yeah. Right? Like, like Oklahoma and Texas are NCAA tournament regulars, but they're not NCAA tournament perennials. Right. And they're certainly not Final Four level. You know, they're not Kansas. Right. They didn't just win a national championship like Baylor or play for a national championship in the last three years like Texas Tech. So, you, you know, if the Big 12 were to, I don't know, add four schools to get back to 12 or even two to get back to 10, you know, they could probably do a nice job and essentially keep their basketball quality quality comparable to what it is currently, right? I mean, they're not going to get, quote, unquote, brands as big as Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah. But, but you know, it, it would still be a top four, five, six league in basketball. Yeah. Like it's pretty hard to have Kansas and not be yeah. at the top of the food chain in basketball. You, you know, that assuming that Texas can, or not Texas, Kansas can, you know, survive minimally or with minimal damage, whatever is coming on the enforcement side. Yeah. Right. I mean, they've certainly sidestepped it so far. Yeah. And I'm not taking sides. I'm just, saying schools, most recently Baylor, just in the last couple of days, seem to be getting better at sidestepping things that to the naked eye would make you go, how could that be? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, again. I'll tell you what, Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to nominate you for uh, commissioner of all college athletics <laughs> and with, excuse me, with some authority and you're going to create four super conferences for football that have nothing to do with any other sports. And then basically redo the NCAA the right way. Uh, and as a former employee of the NCAA, I can say it's all messed up. <laughs> but you, we're going to redo it. Football's, you know, NCAA doesn't control football anyway. So let football go its own way. The conference affiliations with football are just football. And then let's fix the, re you know, get the rest of college athletics back on sound footing. So you got my vote. Uh, just tell me who I need to send the nomination to. Um, uh, Joe Biden, maybe, or, you know, somebody in, in national power, because, you know, the NCAA seems to be losing clout. Yeah. Right. So I'm not sure sending it there is going to get us anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, right now, I think if people nominated the most powerful individuals in college sports, it would be Greg Sankey of the SEC would win. And then there'd be three or four spots and everybody else would be fighting for like sixth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And I got to be honest, I don't think I want the job. <laughs> uh, because because what, what the big boys want is their 64 or 68 team or 80, whatever it is, collection of powerful football schools to also have their own basketball team. Yeah. Yeah. And I could, and we talk about that in the book at great length, 
And I, I, I just couldn't get on board with that. Yeah. Um, because like you, I've grown up with too much fun yeah. from, you know, what, like, like, like it's called March Madness, not March Monopoly. Right. And, and that's a term we we're coining now for the first time. Yeah. Uh, I wish I would have thought of that sooner, but maybe we need to start using it because I think the public's captivation of March monopoly would be less than its current captivation with March madness for the simple reason that it may be unavoidable Right. Because, again, capitalism is at work here, not common sense. Yeah. yeah and sure. and and, you know, uh, the, the casual fan may not be captivated by the 13th best team in the SEC playing the 12th best team in the Big Ten in a first round game in, you know, Boise, Idaho. Right. Yeah. Whereas. uh Oral Roberts beating Ohio State in that game or even taking in Ohio State to overtime, you know, we get cut-ins on every channel. Yeah, for sure. All right. I don't know that two losing teams playing one another. And let's be honest, if they only play primarily themselves during the regular season, there will be more and more losing teams in the tournament for the simple reason that they're not going to have Prairie view to kick around anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just math. Every game has a winner and a loser. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I, I think that in this case, greed would be uh, very damaging. All right. Enough of that stuff. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's have some fun. Let's talk about All right. the 2022 NCAA tournament. It was great to have a tournament of any kind last year. So I'm not going to complain about it, but how cool will it be to have it spread across the country once again? Well, considering that the East regionals are in Philadelphia, uh, I think it's really cool. Uh, and, and we've got, you know, we've got early rounds in, in Pittsburgh, which is drivable. And, uh, you know, look, it, it, it's cool because fans are cool. Yeah. Right. Like the quality of play somehow was pretty unaffected by the sterile nature of really the entire season last year. Now, we were so starved, those of us who are hoop junkies. We were so starved, we probably would have watched 10 guys in their underwear, you know, playing in the dark and liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, if they were in their underwear, the dark might have been, you know, preferred. But, <laughs> you, you know, look, look, it's a national tournament. Um, it, that, that's one of the great elements of it. Now, I, I will say that for those who were in Indy and those who go to the first four in Dayton, which, which I have and, and many of us have been to regional sites, like it is cool to have a lot of teams together. Yeah. Like maybe we could have more teams at fewer sites in the future. 
right? And, and compromised by not going back to the same sites as frequently as we do in order to, you know, spread the wealth, but have, you know, maybe there are some economies of scale in terms of preparation and marketing and travel where some of the better elements of the one site solution could be adopted. Like I'm open to all of that. You know, if, 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 I don't know, like, you know, maybe the elite eight, is we have an East and a West, and, you know, so that if, if that round, if that weekend's in your town, you're not just getting a single game at the Elite Eight round. Yeah. I'm just spitballing. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they've, you know, the, the, the people that run the NCAA tournament are, are very sharp, and they can count very well, and I'm sure they've determined that primarily – the format that we have is the optimal for exposure, branding, revenue, tickets, et cetera. But everyone who was in Indy says that it was pretty cool to be able to go to three or four sites and do stuff that was historic and fun and Hinkle and, you know, yeah. Dome and, 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 and all of that. Let me ask you this. I mean, you, I had never thought about, fewer sites for even like the opening rounds, but you know, I've covered, I've covered the first and second rounds in Kansas city a number of times. And they're either, you know, Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. If you had eight first and second round sites, you could have four games on Thursday, four games on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. And, and then there's, and then you have fans from, I was an English major. Was that 16 different teams? Um, you know, at, or maybe not, uh, however many teams you have, you have twice the number of fans at one site and then they don't get that. They don't get the first and second round for a longer period of time. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm more talking about, I think the second weekend. Okay. Where, where you go, you know, two games into one. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like essentially the four regional sites now are four mini final fours. Right. And I'm wondering if we want to jump from 16 or I'm, I'm sorry, eight, eight teams at eight sites. And then we go to four teams at four sites. May, maybe we keep eight teams at two sites. Yeah. Um, you know, again, why would you sell out? two arenas when you can sell out four. Right. 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 Well, maybe we could mitigate that by bringing the NIT final four to the final four of the uh, final four site and playing right. that double header on Sunday yeah. or bringing the NIT to the alternate Friday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday at a regional weekend. Like, like, you know, if, if, if a regional, if the East regionals in Philly at the pro arena, Wells Fargo, where the Sixers play, well, why couldn't they have a round of 16 from the NIT at the Palestra? Right. Yeah. And just give those fans who are already there, you know, look, not to use crass terms, but we're basketball junkies. 
if there's more drug, we're going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're addicted. Yeah. And, you uh, know, there are horrible addictions in life. This is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, thank, this you for, good. thank you for clarifying that, because I was worried there. This is good. Time. I mean, at, at least this is what I've told my wife for 35 years. <laughs> you know, honey, I have to watch the rest of this game for work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you. Um, OK, I want to go back to the fact that there right now there are a whole bunch of sites. And I know you're going to go to the one in Philadelphia because it's a drive rather than a flight. Um, yes. But if ESPN were to send you to anyone with the fact that we now have 16, I think, first round, first and second round sites. If I know uh, we have eight, we have, we eight. have eight. That's right. Yeah. OK, we have eight. <laughs> There's a reason I'm writing about them and not pre not planning them. Um, so we have eight sites. Okay. If ESPN were to say, Joe, we're going to send you to one of these sites and it's not Philadelphia, which one would you choose? And you can choose that because obviously it's not because of the teams, because we don't know. You have a pretty yeah. good you have a pretty good grasp of who it might be, but you don't know who it is. So maybe the the scenery and the, you know, maybe there's one in Hawaii, which I know there's not. You know, you would take that one. Maybe it's the, yeah. you know, maybe it's Cleveland and you want to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So however you want to determine that, which which of the early round sites would you go to? Well, th this year it's easy because one of them San Diego. Oh, there you go. So, I mean, that's a, in golf terms, I think we call that a gimme. <laughs> uh, and, and I have been to San Diego in the past for the tournament. And again, understand like you, I spend the bulk of the winter in a winter climate. Yes. So, you know, when San Diego comes up on the board, it could be, you know, the eight worst teams in America. Teams 351 to 358. And I am happy to go. Happy to go. Yeah. Because yeah, this the scenery's pretty good. And the basketball's not terrible. Yeah, I remember covering the the basketball tournament at the Olympics in Atlanta and sitting there thinking, mm -hmm. I'm watching a women's game between Korea and Angola. Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm at the Olympics. I'm yes. getting paid to be at the Olympics. Stop complaining. This is great. So I love yeah. that game. I couldn't tell you who won now. It's 25 years ago, but it was a great game. So um, let's. Well, let's I actually had Angola plus eight and a half. Okay. And uh, they covered. Okay. I, I was going to say, I think Angola won, I, but I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Let's I talk remember about the men's game. I remember the Benz game in Barcelona. Didn't Charles Barkley step on an Angola guy? Yes. Yes. And they won by like 75 points or something. Yeah. Um, let's talk about stuff you do know about. So right now we are, you know, we're we were releasing this on the 30th of August. So we are, what's that? Like seven months out from the, from the final four, who are your top four? Yeah, but only maybe nine or 10 weeks from the start of the season. I know, I know. Who are your top four seeds right now? Well, Gonzaga is going to be the preseason number one. Uh, I think by acclamation, unless there's, you know, some kind of major fall injury. Uh, they have reloaded uh, more down the one and done path, uh, which kind of started for them with, with Jalen Suggs a year ago. I mean, they've had one or two others, but primarily – They've been a program built on older guys. Yeah. Uh, 
Gonzaga is going to be a one seed. Uh, Kansas is is going to be a one seed. Uh, you, you know, those two are, I, I think, reasonably secure in their in their spots. Uh, I think we, we would likely have a Big Ten team. Uh, the Big Ten is loaded again. Uh, Michigan's loaded. Uh, Purdue thinks, I think, accurately that, that they can make a real run. Uh-huh. They would also get uh, a likely first and second round weekend in Indianapolis right down the road. Uh, because they're not the host institution. So you look at these little advantages yeah. that could accrue uh, to certain teams along the way. Uh, th- th- there's a lot of momentum behind Villanova because they're getting Colin Gillespie back. I see them more in the two, three range. Uh, it, it, I mean, Texas with Chris Beard has been in acquisition mode, if you will, since that hire was was consummated back in the spring. Uh, so, so, you know, a top five of, of Gonzaga, uh, Kansas, Michigan, uh, maybe Texas, uh, UCLA would, would be in that group as well. You know, a reprise of that great final four game uh, between the Zags and Bruins. So UCLA would be, would be the one like it's hard to believe that you could argue that one and two at the start of the year would be two West coast teams. You know, it's in most tournaments there's like the East runner up gets shipped to be the one seed in the West. Right. 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 This year it could be the other way around and Gonzaga and UCLA are now slated to play a regular season game in Las Vegas. I believe uh, in, in, the week leading up the Monday night before Thanksgiving. So if ESPN wants to send me there on the way to San Diego, I'll take one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you would. Okay. Um, so who are they right now? I know you just released your latest bracket uh, a few days ago. Who are the mm-hmm. surprise teams in that field as of right now? All right, let's take a look kind of toward the, the, the double digit at larges, which is kind of where those teams would slot. And, you know, it, it teams just outside the power five uh, that, that are still going to be good that people might, might not be thinking about uh, St. Mary's and BYU out of the West coast conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if we had gone by the, postponed 2020 bracket that would be the third bid in a row for for uh BYU since since they made the transition to Mark Pope who's been a terrific coach for them uh St. Mary's of course has been to 12 straight NCAA and NITs uh and I think the only schools in the country that can say that are Gonzaga Kansas and Michigan State that's pretty lofty company yeah uh, Richmond in the Atlantic 10 has quietly brought all but one of its players back. Uh, they'll probably be picked second in that league behind St. Bonaventure, which will be ranked to start the season. I don't think that's happened since Bob Lanier 
Wow. And his, you know, size 22 and a half shoes for anyone who's been to the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know how he never tripped going up the court. Um, <laughs> well, he, had a, he had a 6'11", 275 body uh, on top of those. So he had enough weight. I know. I know. But you're still more likely to get your toes stepped on and fall from somebody else yeah. if your feet are a foot longer than the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not that I've ever had that. <laughs> uh, Colorado State uh, it, it, it is got a, a good bit back. They, they strike me. Seton Hall lost its best player for the second straight year. I, they, they are sneaking still into the field. Now, again, it's mostly a numeric uh, offensive and defensive efficiency formula compared with minutes returning that brings about the preseason rankings. You know, thankfully, soon enough, we'll have actual games yeah. and results. So we, 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 can, we can slide a little bit more in the direction of the dreaded eye test. Uh, but, y- y- you know, the eye test for me also includes – like who scores the most points when two teams play each other. So, so we'll have, you know, we'll have good data to make some of these evaluations. So there's and no the break. There's in August, like the difference in August between being among the first in or the first out is even more negligible than it is, you know, August 12th versus March 12th. Right. So there's really no radar for somebody to sneak in under the radar because it's strictly based on mathematics rather than anything you've seen. Correct. I mean, it's not like I'm going around to team summer workouts. Yeah. And, and to the extent that that would mean anything. Oh, you know, so-and-so put on 20 pounds and worked on his jump shot. Well, that's great. And maybe he also got slower and we won't know that until he has to guard someone. I mean, it's yeah. all. Yeah. Okay. You know, that, that's why we have surprise teams every year because we, we, we can't possibly know at this point where the whole is going to be greater than the sum of the parts. Like, who is Drake right. in 2022? Who is Oral Roberts? Yeah. And, and frankly, who is Duke and who is Kentucky where the whole is less than the sum of the parts? Yeah. Like those two, you know, certainly there were irregularities on account of the pandemic, but those two missed the NCAA tournament for a reason. They weren't good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 30 or 35 games has a way of shining that light on negatively or positively. Yeah. All right. Obviously, I'm representing my Kansas State Wildcats. So finish this sentence for me. Uh, During the NCAA tournament, the 2022 NCAA tournament, Kansas State will be watching. Yeah. Again, sorry to say, but it's a very nice shirt, and that color looks great on you. Well, thank you. Um, you there's, bet. There's a lot of talk in Manhattan that if they don't make the tournament or don't at least challenge for the tournament, that Bruce Weber is going to be gone. And do you think, do you hear anything? you know, half a country away that that may be true and that maybe he'll do things differently because he feels some pressure? No, I'm not hearing any inside information. I mean, you would be my K-State insider (laughs) to the the extent 
that that I have one. And I mean, obviously, it's a storied program with it with you know more than its share of great basketball and great players and great coaches. Uh, but just as the gap between the haves and the have-nots, like among the power conferences and the mid to low majors, is growing every year. Yeah, I think one of the lesser kind of examined storylines is within the big boy leagues there's becoming a gap as well and i think that will only exaggerate because again let's be honest a top 50 recruit can probably do better off the court in terms of his or her new revenue opportunities at a major brand school and or a major market school, then, you know, you can probably do better in Manhattan, New York than Manhattan, Kansas. Right, right. And I think that that's going to make it harder for the K-States. And, you know, I don't know, pick pick the, you know, Oregon State. Pick, pick a school in all these leagues. You know, Mississippi State. Um and, and so on down the line. Um, not that they're getting kicked out of their leagues because, you know, Alabama has to beat someone. Right. Um, UCLA has to beat someone. Kansas has to beat, dare I say, someone. Yeah. Well, they could beat uh, Iowa State. I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, they do that too. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, again, it's sad. Yeah, because we grew up in another time. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this. You talked about Duke and Kentucky not making it in your pre you're too early to predict or I don't know what we call about your way too early field. Um, Who are the surprise teams not in your field? Well, so, David, you'll love this. And if this had happened a year ago, it definitely would be in the book. Right. So, again, real time, we're recording this earlier in August. The, the, the August bracket went up on August 10th at about eight o'clock in the morning. At about 930, I'm walking on the beach wearing a plain shirt that identified me with no school team or anything basketball. Hat, sunglasses. Team 69 that morning was, wait for it, Syracuse. All numeric. Like, it's not like I'm sitting there fudging the numbers. Yeah. Right? I got better things to do on vacation. Uh, and this guy's coming the other way. I can see he's got a Syracuse shirt on, which is not uncommon on the East Coast. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm walking on the beach. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Hey, Joe, we were 66 or whatever last month. You have it in for us. <laughs> so I guess Syracuse as the surprise team out of the field. Uh, you know, they did have a player declare for the draft late. And, you know, look, everybody's, you know, until early August, teams were still adding high level guys like Memphis added a top 10 guy. Yeah. Uh, that never used to happen on August 5th or whatever. 
so, so there's going to be more movement. And I guess that's why the powers that be at ESPN want these brackets up there. But yes, yeah, Syracuse isn't in. Uh, and they were in the Sweet 16 a year ago. They've added another Bayheim. I think they need three more for an all Bayheim starting five. Uh, Arizona isn't in. That that'll be a that'll be a surprise, you know, given the coaching change there. Uh, and 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 trying to turn the page and, and and get back and go. And of course, you know, just missing again was uh, Kansas State. But uh, uh, yeah, they weren't among the last four. And and look. Any of these power schools can surprise. Yeah. Um, R- Rutgers was right on the edge on the in, just making St. John's is getting a lot of support here on the East coast. Uh, I, I don't see them quite making it. Uh, but you know, Mike Anderson has pretty good history of, of, of overachieving. So, you know, a- any team that's within 10 spots either way yeah. should be in the conversation you know, five, six months from now when we get serious about it. And, you know, uh, I, well, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I was going to say, where's St. Joe's? St. Joe's is still in Philadelphia. <laughs> and uh, they will be there for another season. Uh, but I, I do think, you, you know, after, after a couple of rebuilding years is they, they got, you know, in, they're one of the few that, lost a star player in the portal, their best player and all Atlantic 10 rookie guy from last year. And then after a month at Texas A&M turned around and came back, changed his mind. Now, maybe he got to college station and realized, I don't know that they don't have the internet or something. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I've been there once. I just remembered, you know, God bless the good people at A&M. We landed in Houston, I guess, and drove for hours and didn't see a thing for two or three hours. And then all of a sudden there's this gigantic, and I mean gigantic, concrete structure that you can see for about five miles. And I looked at my partner and went, well, that must be the football stadium, which, of course, is the biggest building there. And, you know, that kind of says what's most important in College Station, Texas. And maybe this kid. Realize that, but D- David, I have to ask you a question. Am I allowed to do that? Sure. Am I allowed sure. to do that? Yeah. So, rumor has it, rumor has it, that this is your one hundredth episode. Is 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 that true? Yeah. That that rumor was part of my introduction, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. But, but I didn't, I like, I guess, like, I didn't know if this was the 101st or the 90, you, you know, it's like Ronnie Dangerfield. You see, when someone gives you directions, you never know whether to count the first light. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, you go four lights. So like, I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't completely, I wanted to be sure. Yes. Because is- it seems to me that you've been the bossy host who's asked all the questions for a hundred episodes and nobody's ever put you on the spot so i think it's time i think it's time we turned the tables a bit and as one of the few as one of the few if any repeat guests and the person who spent all of the year 2020 being asked questions by you i think it's only fair that you know we do 
a little smale expose. So here goes. Here goes. <laughs> okay. You, like me, uh, started on, on the print side of things, probably made fun of the electronic media, as you know, the, the pretty boys. Uh, and here we are in the digital sphere. Uh, no one would call either of us pretty. That's true. Including mm -hmm. our beloved wives. What do you think? Print, electronic, and how are they different? That's a good question. I, I, print has a delete button. <laughs> and I, I, I covered, you, you know, we were originally scheduled to do this earlier in the week. And I, I covered the Royals Yankees series and on Mon in Monday night's game, uh, the Royals became the first team in the modern era, which is since 1900 to score a tying run in the seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, 10th inning. And they almost did it in the 11th inning. They had the tying runs on base and I'm writing a game story. And when the, the lead changes, I have to scrap it and, <laughs> and and throw you know write something else i don't know how many pulitzers i threw out the window uh oh, with, no that, with that game story but I, I just simply i you know blocked the copy and deleted it and and then i wrote my new lead and then i blocked it and deleted it and then i wrote my new lead and so if you're on live tv um and you say that um you know we should go to uh, 132 team field uh because, you know, because that way everybody that deserves to be in should be in, then you look like a fool because you've got some really bad teams in the field, but you can't delete that. You can't take that back. I think that's the biggest difference besides, you know, and, and everybody expects, I think the digital side has affected the print side because my game story is due three minutes after the final buzzer sounds or after the final out is made. And so that is that has definitely affected it as well. Yeah, that is a great no delete button. Yes, I have learned that the hard way. <laughs> uh, I have learned that the hard way. And I've also learned it the hard way on the air. I've definitely learned it, you know, in marriage. Uh, so but podcast, you decided to do a podcast and it was a visual podcast. I assume you have mirrors in your house. And, you know, you thought to yourself, this is a good idea anyway. Um, why a podcast? It, it's uh, I, I don't know if I'm not taking any of the blame or if I'm sharing the credit. Um, but, you know, you know, my team, uh, Gustavo, who we affectionately call Goose and Andrea, they were helping me market a book I did on the history of the Kansas City Chiefs. And. Andrea said, you know, you've been interviewing people in sports for 40 years. Why don't you do a podcast? And of course, at 62, my reaction was, no, <laughs> I don't want right. to do that. That's that's technology. I don't I don't I don't know anything about it. I don't want to know anything about it. And Goose says, well, all you have to do is hit record on Zoom and we'll do everything else. And I thought, yeah. well, the one thing I can do is talk. And so. Let's do it. Let's let's know talk. The feeling. And yeah. And and then they said, you know, if we do it with video as well, people can see uh, what these you know, what these celebrities 
whether they're writers or broadcasters or coaches or players or former players, let's see what they look like. Uh, and so they do that. You know, when when we transcribe the uh, the interviews for search engine optimization, and I just talked over my own head because I have no idea what that means. Uh, hmm. The it's 80% my guest and 20% me, which is I wish we could do that from the video standpoint as well. And I could mm -hmm. just be I could just be invisible. But they say no. If you're going to be doing interviews and you show the guest, we probably need to show you as well. Which means that you know I work from home means I've got to wear clothes every day, and that makes it more difficult. But um, thank you for the compliment on my looks, by the way. Well, but this serious compliment coming because you know, for better or worse, I get interviewed a lot. Yeah. Uh, less so in the summer, certainly, but you know feeling underexposed is not a, not a condition of, of, of being a bracketologist. You are old school in the best way because you know how to ask open-ended questions that don't put the onus on the questioner, but on the interviewee. And so many people that I see in this space, whether it's auto, audio only or... Like they give a speech before they ask a question like I just did. <laughs> and you you didn't do that with our book and you don't do that in the podcast. And plus, you get great guests, which it seems to me would be kind of a pretty good place to start. Right. Like if my choice is, you know, if you're going to do college basketball podcasts with, you know, Fran Frischilla, who just got back from the Olympics versus, you know, Joe Blow. Well, of course you want to listen to experts, mm -hmm. right? So having said all that, I'm going to ask an unopen-ended question. You ready? Yes, I am. Since we know the number, who's your second favorite podcast guest <laughs> on sports connections well yeah i mean obviously the only person to repeat uh on here is some some guy some short italian dude from philly named lenardi um, yeah baby <laughs> but i you know i've had so much fun um you said you're gonna ask a closed-ended question and i'm gonna give you an open-ended answer um i've been surprised yeah, by yeah. some i've been surprised by some of the uh quality of guests that I thought, well, I'm doing it because they're nice people, you know, and, and they got a good story. But uh, I interviewed a young lady who is is not well known, but I thought what her subject was really good. She grew up on a farm in South Dakota and she's a personal trainer. And she talked about the fact that, you know, she ran she played sports in high school. I mean, she's five feet nothing um, and played basketball in high school. Um, she ran track in college, uh, but she, she said all of her, her teammates on the track team in college talked about how difficult the practices were. Mm. And she said that it was a day off, you know, compared mm. to the work that we had to do on the farm. And mm. she, she talked mm -hmm. about, you know, I said, what's the, what's the biggest challenge that you have in training someone? And she said, getting them to step out of their front door. And especially as we have gone through 
COVID where a lot of us are working from home. And I did before that, as you know, but, um, sure. you know, a lot of people are used to working from home, getting them to step out the front door is the hardest thing. So there, that was one of, one of the better ones as far as notable guests. Um, I, I probably, well, you know how, how fond I am of Bill Snyder. He was mm-hmm. one of my early ones. Um, and Solid. He, he was very gracious. Um, Kevin Harlan, the broadcaster who broadcasts yep. basically everything. Um, yep. Uh, I met him only four or five years ago. Um, and, but yes, I, we, we become so really good. good friends. And he's so good. And he has, because I had corresponded with him for years about different things. At the end of it, I thanked him for being on, like I always do. And he, he said something, which I, I probably should frame it and put it on my wall. He said, David, I've been a fan of yours for many years. Thank you for allowing me to be on. So, of course, mm-hmm. that pumped up <laughs> pumped up my ego uh, quite a bit. Um, our friend Clark Kellogg was, mm-hmm. was great. I've known Clark. I met Clark at the 1982 NBA draft and wow. was impressed with him then. Um, so I've had I've had a lot of good people. Yeah, a lot good. of really great guests. Um, I've are I just recently interviewed one of your old colleagues at ESPN, and it, uh, his episode will show up in September, and that's Howie Schwab. Mm-hmm. Um, and we Don't stumped each Schwab. We Did stumped stump each him? other. We okay. stumped each other in our with and and yet with a couple of clues, we each ended up getting the other guy's question uh, correct. So that was a fun one. Um, Dick Vitale has told me he will be on Bill Walton has told me he will be on. So the list, you know, it's not like I, I spent everything I had to get my first hundred guests and now I'm just going to go after Joe slump. So, you know, it'll, who knows where I will go. Well, uh, I, I, I'm a fan. Uh, I watch and listen. Uh, and last but not least you are, um, you're a great family man. Um, I mean, the only time you ever bail on something is when you're being a grandfather. Uh, and, and there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, so, y- you know, after, after, you know, when you get to episode number 20,100, uh, what, what, what's the legacy of that? And 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 what do you hope people remember about David Smale, uh, in, including your family, obviously? Yeah, um, I, actually, I I hope that when you know, hundred years from now, if anybody remembers me, it has nothing to do with this. Uh, has nothing to do with the books that I've written. It has nothing to do with anything um, about what I did professionally. Uh, I, I talked to a. a guy used to be a kicker for the chiefs. And he said, uh, and he was talking to a group of kids and he said, I met some guy and he said, who are you? And he said, I'm so-and-so. He told him his name. He said, no, that's your name. Who are you? And he Mm -hmm. said, oh yeah, I'm a kicker for the Kansas city chiefs. And he said, well, that's what you do for a living. Who are you? And finally he got it. And that's what I hope people remember about me is that I'm a child of God. I fall down a lot but he helps me back up. And I hope what my legacy will be is that God can be glorified by my successes and how I respond to my failures. And how about your family? I know, I know about your faith and it's, 
to be uh, commended. Uh, and my how much good work and good works that you're a part of. Well, thank you. Um, uh, we, my wife and I, who you've met, and she thinks you're wonderful. So we'll keep that secret safe. Um, yeah. But my wife and I Child just, bride. <laughs> just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary uh, earlier in August. And we have two wonderful grown children. Uh, our son is uh, 37 and his first child will be here uh, in a couple of weeks and um, going to be a little girl. And well, she already Let's is. A little, she looks like her grandmother. Yeah, she already is a little girl, but she will be revealed to the world as a little girl uh, in September. Um, and our daughter is 35. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that. It's okay to say my son's 37. I don't know if you're allowed to tell you how old your your daughters are, but she's 35. Has two two daughters. Um, our older granddaughter just turned, or will turn six next week. Uh, our younger granddaughter who runs the house when she's here, um, is yeah. three, three and a half. And I'll tell you what, your day's coming, brother. It, at yeah. some point when, when, you know, I, I might be having a really bad day and, and I know the girls are coming. So I'll come from my upstairs office and sit in my chair and work. And, and that front door opens up and those girls run across the, the floor and say, grandpa, we're here. And it can, doesn't matter what kind of a day I've had my day all of, all of a sudden turns perfect. And it, there is nothing, nothing like being a grandpa. Amen. Amen. Well, when are we going to see um, the, you know, your autobiography of your career? I can picture the title. It'll just say with David Smale. <laughs> no, I mean it. I mean it. Like, like you have a professional legacy, which is, significant all the people that you you've you've profiled in the stories that you've done large and small like think about how we met yeah just for an, any old you know story in a in a game program um not not any but i mean you know it wasn't likely to change the rotation of the earth right right like it was nice but it wasn't Right. I mean, you've done that for hundreds of people. Yeah. I, there might be a book there. It, you know, I'm, I'm working on my wife's book. As you know, she's a two time leukemia survivor. And uh, the treatment for leukemia is a bone marrow transplant where you basically get enhanced or enriched blood from another person. Uh, both of her donors um, were are, are males. And so the title of her book is her life story on how she's taken that and run with it and volunteers uh, at the cancer center. And so the title of her book, which relates to her faith as well, is called Saved by Another Man's Blood. And I, mm. you know, we're working on that one, but I never thought about writing one about me because, you know, by the time that comes out, my mom may not be able to read anymore. Um, and because she's already in her late eighties and, and my brother wouldn't buy it. I know that he might take a free one, but, and <laughs> If unless my grandkids can can read by then, I don't know that there's enough people to to read it. But it's an interesting idea, and I do like the title. I do like the title. That's pretty cool. Well, I'm glad because you didn't like any of the titles for our book. <laughs> <laughs> David, you're a good man and a great friend, and I will make this pledge to you when you get to podcast number one thousand. I will be happy to come back for the third time and be proud of it.
My pleasure. I, I, I'll put it down right now. I don't have the schedule written out that far out, but uh, you can count on it. Joe, it's, uh, I appreciate you um, joining me for the interview and, and turning the tables. That was fun. Um, and so thanks very much. And uh, the season's right around the corner. I'll, I'll ho- hope to see you at, at some of the conference uh, media days as soon as we figure out Amen. when those are happening. Uh, we'll be we'll be the traveling duo, uh, Abbott and Costello, Smale and Lenardi, or I guess it's probably with popularity, Lenardi and Smale. Um, hey, who's on first? I don't know who's on second. That's yeah. us. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Thanks again. You bet. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.